0: We have John Scholler with us here today. We're going to, this is your episode if you're interested in flipping, because uh, John and his team have flipped hundreds of properties at this point. And uh, we're going to be talking about processes, procedures, how to scale, and a variety of other things. So this is going to be a great episode. John also hosts a mastermind through Discord, and the URL is a bit long there. So I'm going to make sure to have that particular link in the show notes, if that is something that you would like to uh, think about joining. But uh, you can also look for his company at A&M Investments. With that being said, he also has a very successful YouTube channel, so you can find him pretty much everywhere on the socials. So, John, I really appreciate your time and, and sharing your expertise around flipping homes here today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you so much for having me on. So, how did you put yourself
0: into this torture when it comes to flipping homes?
1: Yeah. So, uh, it just was by happenstance a little bit. There was always some luck in play. Anybody who tells you there's not, they're lying to you. Um, but you know, that, that quote goes, you know, luck is kind of when preparation meets opportunity. And this was that, that chance. So, uh, I got a long background of owning businesses and I sold a business and then my wife and I traveled the U S for a while because she was a travel nurse. And after selling my companies and stuff, we had a little bit of money piled up and I needed to get back to work. I was I was desperate for some purpose, desperate for something to do. And I've, naturally I found like real estate investing in bigger pockets and things like that. And it all sounded interesting to me. Um, but at the time we were traveling in places like Maui and Los, uh, Las Vegas, uh, sorry, Los Angeles, California, places where to get started was a little bit harder. All right, so the, the, the buy-in there is a little bit larger than most, most cities. So anyway, I started looking up companies in the area that were doing something uh, with real estate, and I said, "Well, by the time we get there, I just want to have some meetings in place with people that are doing real estate in that area, and we're going to hit the ground running." And uh, I had no intention to join up with anybody; I just wanted to kind of like pick their brain and get some mentorship. And I met with three or three or four of the bigger companies here in Charleston, and uh, my partners today, Andrew and Steve, uh, were one of the first ones I met, and we just kicked it off. It was just like you know, we just love it for a site kind of thing with a partnership and mm-hmm. um, it, they needed me and I needed them. I didn't know real estate and they were kind of new to the, the business venture world. Um, they had been running for about two years, but they could help. We could have a little help with the financial department and that's my strong suit. And I did not know anything again about finding properties or flipping them or anything like that. And so, You know, my partner Steve has a contractor's license and he knows all about the houses and flipping them. My partner Andrew was a wholesaler and knew about acquisitions and finding homes and rent owns and all that. So he does our acquisitions and our sales department. With his wife as the realtor, and then I manage all the investors in the money. And they just came to be. Like again, I went to meet them. I went in on March first. Five years. It'll be five years this March first. I was shadowing them for about a week. They started discovering some of my talents, and I started discovering how much I liked them just as people. And I never left. In probably five, six months after that, we were sort of we called ourselves partners, one third split. Since then, yeah, we flipped probably about 180 homes to date. Uh, we got about 15 or 20 we're working on currently. So I was a little long-winded, but it's an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's
0: it it is a very interesting story, and and I it's interesting how you pointed something else out because a lot of people, especially when they get into some any kind of partnerships like you're suggesting, they're typically attracted to like skilled or like-minded individuals. And I'm, I'm probably going to say, lean into the like skilled individuals, but in your case, it sounds like where the synergy hit is that everybody kind of had a specialization that they were bringing to the table.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I you know, I said all that in a couple of minutes and that's not how smoothly it went you, know, you got two, three people coming together and I always like, I always like to uh, compare to roommates. You know, if you ever had a best friend and then you eventually became roommates, it gets tricky really fast, right? Mm-hmm. You start discovering things you do and don't like about them. And that was for us. We all liked each other right off the bat. We still have, we liked each other the whole time, but we didn't know what we didn't like about each other. And we started discovering that, you know, six, eight months in that, you know, they, we have, everybody has their little thing that we don't like or do like, or way we operate business, or the way we believe that money should be ran or operate or how pay should go. And so we bumped heads for a solid year. You know there was times there and we we'll all admit this where we were like we're not sure this is going to work. One of the proudest moments for us is that we made it through that. And we made it through the struggles of beginning that that business. And now you know we all the best thing for us was figuring out whose lane is whose and stay in that lane and don't go in the other person's lane. We're all going to we're all going to collide or cross lanes eventually in some aspect, but as long as for the main for the main part of it, you have your section of the business that you worry about, you operate and you have control over then that's the way we do it. And then we also do the two thirds vote. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but nobody can argue it because we agreed to that. And I always argue for people getting into, or uh, not argue so much, but I recommend or advise people getting into a partnership is have an operating agreement and everything needs to be ironed out in there, everything and fill it out as if you're getting divorced, not married. So this means when everything's happening, going fine, nobody has a problem right nobody nobody as long as money's flowing in everybody's getting paid but when things go south or when there's an argument or when there's a thing something somebody's messing up or not doing what they should be doing what's what's in the operating agreement to get them back on track or to incentivize them to this could be a penalty it could be a loss of share of ownership it could be anything like that but i always recommend that
0: wow that that is a, a nugget right there and and within a few minutes write that operating agreement as if you're getting a divorce versus getting married That is, that's especially important. Um, And it's it's really kind of interesting that you did take the time to write things down and put things in writing like this. A lot of people these days, unfortunately, I think they do it with a handshake and that just typically leads to problems.
1: That's how we started and it led to problems. And so that I'm teaching you from experience. You do not hearsay or a handshake, all that goes to the wayside. When somebody forget what they say, when things are going south, when you know when the company's not going like it's supposed to, those things all become hearsay. And he said, she said. So you don't have it in writing so everybody can reference back to it and, and say, no, we all agreed right here. This is how we do things.
0: Yeah. So talk to me then, Like it's it sounds like this has become uh, maybe a habit that you and your team have done then is, is start putting things more and more in pr- writing. And I would guess that that is likely the way you've been able to scale like you have associated with uh, these projects. You've got 20 flips going on it right now. The only way you could probably achieve something like this is through processes, procedures, some documentation. Do- talk about that process.
1: Your company is only as strong as your system is, and everybody needs to know their roles and how how it goes into uh, effect and how important their role is, all the way down to your office manager, all the way down to the person taking phone calls. Everybody, we say, is equally important in the company because if they start messing up, then they mess up our leads. If our leads don't come in, then we don't buy houses. If We don't buy houses. We don't sell houses. We don't sell houses. We don't make money. So it always like it starts there. No matter how little or small your role may seem in the company, Monday morning meeting, we all have our meetings as a team. We have the owner's meeting first. So me, Andrew, and Steve sit down for 30 minutes on Mondays. We go over any pro we start with problems. Does anybody have a problem with it, whether it be with each other, the company, your own life? What can we do to help each other if you're having a problem? If no problems, is there any concerns or things that you need to get done uh, that another person can help with? And then we give each other our assignments. Those go into an app we call Basecamp. Basecamp does all of our tracking and scheduling. The office manager also stays on top of us with our Basecamp stuff. And then we bring the team in. Same thing again, right? Uh, Problems, concerns, anything like that plans, one thing that you can work on this week that can improve the company, whether that be your own role or in general or a suggestion. You know, We have a whole system written out from the time we finding the house, buying the house, closing the house with the funding from a private money investor, then, then starting the rehab, tracking the rehab, closing the house, and then set, making sure everybody's satisfied, including the investor. Everything
0: that you're talking about tracked and measured and systemized in Basecamp, you're frankly the first person I've I know of Basecamp, but you're the only investor that I've run into
1: so far that uses that. Yeah. So Basecamp's just for our in house scheduling. You know, we don't have our contractors and stuff on that, it's just for our in house. Uh, we're for office manager, our bookkeeper, and our project manager. That's our three full-time in-house employees. And then we have uh, the three owners of, as well. Nobody else is really inside of that other than our realtor, who is my partner's wife. So naturally, it's just a fit for her. But for contractors and stuff, the contracting team handles that. Because again, the other thing too is flipping I mean, is, is an intensive job. I mean, especially if you're doing 20 properties at a time. And I, I assure you, each one of our roles is a full-time position. So no way in my schedule do I have time to be contacting or messaging or even getting the notifications from all the contractors. That's Steve's duty. Same thing with Steve. He doesn't want all the messages and stuff about audits and where the money going in and out and doing a transfer. That's between me and the bookkeeper. So we keep that stuff separate. So we're not all blown up with notifications all the time, unless it's something super important, then everybody's notified. Uh, So having your roles, having your positions, Basecamp helps track that for task time management. But then we have Rehab Valuator, which is a house flipping software that actually does more than that, it does, it does it all. Uh, but we found this about three years ago, I want to say. I can put an affiliate link down below. As I can send you that as well, give mm-hmm. you a free 30-day trial. But it tracks all of our projects, from the day we purchase them to how we're funding them to every cent we spend on these projects. At any given time, by Friday of every end of every week, we know exactly where we're at on budget on every house. Does, does that...
0: Uh also then help you schedule the different contractors and different skill sets that are going in and out of the house to make sure that they're not stepping on each other and making the best use of of that time?
1: It has that feature. Um, (laughs) We're in Charleston, West Virginia. So if you don't know much about West Virginia outside of the normal jokes, it's not as bad as they say, I promise. Um, But if you don't, it's a beautiful place. But if you don't know, yes, we are behind. Technologically, Age-wise, you know, we're an older demographic and we have contractors that don't have email. Okay, we have, we have contractors that, do, we have, not contractors, professional services, a cabinet maker and supplier that does not have a computer. Okay, so with that being said, systems like this won't work for them. So a lot of it's text messaging, which we at least got them there. Uh, or phone calls. So again, that's not done through Rehab Valuator, although it will do all that for you. It has the Gantt chart, it has a scheduling chart, it has all that stuff. But we already had a system in place for that stuff when we came on to Rehab Valuator. Mm-hmm. So we haven't converted that yet. It's just mainly used for uh, budgets and tracking. You know, since you were talking about all the,
0: the systematic events that, that have occurred, and it sounds like you've done through a lot of documentations and defining some of this stuff, let's say that you've gone through the house, you've got it under contract, you've closed it, you're about to commence the flipping aspect of it. What are some of those first processes and systems you put in place in order to, that you found that were the most successful or the most impactful to your business?
1: Yeah, I can kind of run you through our whole process in a matter of minutes, done it a few times now. Um, So basically, you know, a lead comes into the company, Andrew evaluates that lead as our acquisitions manager, you know, owner part. Uh, he sees what the comps are and all that. And he sees it's even worthwhile to go out and look at. We have an, a third-party acquisitions person out in the field that uh, they're like a contractor. Sometimes they send us leads. But if not, either way, they'll do what's called a first look. But then if Andrew evaluates it and says, hey, this could be a viable project, we'll go out for what we call a second look. And the second look is at least two owners, okay? We want at least two there. We've done it with one in a pinch, but we don't want any, another key for this to be in partnership, nobody wants to have sole responsibility for a bad decision, right? When it's a good decision, you feel great. But if you're like, hey, I went and bought this house the other day and didn't, didn't tell you two about it, and we lose 30 grand on that. Well, that doesn't feel good to anybody. So that's the two thirds vote thing that we do on everything. And another reason for why we look at these houses together. So anyway, we have uh, at least two owners and our project manager and we go through it with rehab Valuator and do uh, what we call a rough budget on the whole house. Of course, Steve and Kevin, our project manager, do this. So they go through It has every line item you can imagine and you can customize this to what you do and don't do. So it has, uh, it has templates on there. If you're brand new at this and it'll line out every line item, and then you can customize a template to things that how you flip. So we can pull up our template, go through the house, put all the numbers in, put our soft cost in there. Andrew gives feedback on what it'll sell for conservatively, and then it'll spit out a number for you on your gross profit, right? And then we have to factor in our investors and things like that. But if that number hits a certain number for us, for our goal, then we'll make an offer based on what's that... Number tells us we can make the offer one. Offer gets accepted, great. Now we're putting it in contract. Next thing we do is we find an investor. We fund every single one of our projects with private money. We've never dealt with banks or hard money. Uh, I can tell you how the process works because my wife and I are one of the private money investors inside the company. So uh, I don't get an email, of course. But let's say I was just a, just a private money investor. We shoot. A, I just sent one this morning. In fact, I was sending the last one, the last little bits of that when you signed on with me today. All the details of the flip, pictures of the flip, ARV, um, rehab, rehab uh, amount, and uh, purchase amount, total all in, and then we pay our investors 10% annualized. They usually say yes. We have a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. We have about $10 million in money that uh, is, I wouldn't say committed. We don't sign commitment forms, but they're waiting for us to find properties for them. Most of them say yes. Then we send it all to the lawyer. The lawyer handle, handles the wire tra- transactions, the deed of trust, the promissory note, and the terms. Once the lawyer receives the funds, we go pick up a check from the lawyer. Um, they handle the purchase, so we get the rehab funds in hand. We go to the bank, deposit that. They get their own bank account. Every private Im- investor has their own bank account with us. They'll have one account per investor, so they carry two or three houses in or up to 15 in that account, but one bank account per investor. It helps us for tracking. Uh, We notify our accountant, this house closed on this date. This is what they funded. This is the investor. This is what we're paying them the return. Did they fund from a retirement account or just standard? Will we be paying them monthly or will it accrue over the length of the loan? Then um, we sit down at the budget table one more time after they contacted all the contractors they're going to get on the project. We fill in all the blanks with updated information. Still good. Sometimes a little worse, sometimes a little better, but hopefully we're right there. Start the project. Um, the only thing that we'll do to that project before making sure all this is in place is um, changing locks, pictures, uh, insurance, of course, and occasionally we don't love doing this, but occasionally we'll start rehab. I mean, sorry, demo,
0: demo. Sure. So you know, part of that process and, and procedures. Then you're, it sounds like you you're reliant on on a lot of the same contractors over and over. They're kind of used to your the way you work. So do you already have a preset list of materials that they just don't even have to think about it? You just, they know what color the walls are going to be. They know what cabinets to put in.
1: So, yes. Uh, As far as contractors, I mean, we've gone through them like we've go through underwear. I mean, we're just like any other flipping company. You're going to hear about this problem. And we have the we have the core group that we can use when we're flipping 20 at a time. It's hard to find people with enough crew to handle all that. We also don't let, we also make contractors prove to us that they're good and have a system. So we don't give a contractor more than one house at a time until they successfully completed at least two flips in a row. Then we will start adding more into them because guys, you do not, want to do two or three projects with a new contractor because if that contractor bails on you or if it doesn't go as planned, you have three projects in lieu now. What are you going to do? So you really need them to make sure that y'all are on the same page how things work. We pay contractors every week, one time every time. We've never not paid a contractor, um, but with that, it doesn't matter how good that goes. It just sometimes contractors don't have it together. Uh, they're forced to be small business owners, and a lot of them they're just they're just not, and they know it. But anyway, um, now I'm not speaking to every contractor. I'm just saying this is common knowledge amongst flipping houses. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, but yes, we do a lot of copy paste with our designs and colors and stuff. We don't love that. I personally don't love that because I run a YouTube channel and my YouTube is a lot of us showing our before and after houses. And we do a lot of grays and whites and the typical flips. We just had a meeting about this last week that we're going to try to start implementing some more color, changing the wall color a little bit. But look, we are a retail flipping company. We can't go in there and paint the whole house maroon and hope that somebody will buy it. We need to appeal to the largest audience possible. You know, so, I mean, that's the largest buyer pool possible. And most people like grays and whites. Even if you don't, the the statistics show 85% of buyers are fine with grays and whites because they're easy to paint over and change if you don't like them. If I paint all your walls red... First of all, I just lower my buyer pool to maybe 20% if I'm lucky. And not only that, but if you don't like it, how hard is it to paint over red? So all these things go into consideration. We go with neutral colors, neutral backsplashes. You know, we're not doing anything crazy. Every once in a while, we'll paint an accent wall because, again, easy to change.
0: Right. And all of this sounds really good to you and you want to be a part of uh, John's mastermind. I'm going to remind everybody uh, it's called More Than Money on Discord, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes so that you it's an easy to find because those Discord URLs can get a little wheel out, out
1: of hand. I appreciate um, that. And I just wanted to say, like, Discord, a lot of people don't know what that is. It's basically like a chat community or a forum, uh, and that's just one aspect of it. But that's also how you get the link every month, twice a month, to our live Zoom calls. Uh, to the members, they all get this in their email or through the Discord. So even if you don't want to use the Discord, you get, do get the lives, your email, and we go live uh, on Wednesdays twice a month for an hour teaching you something new about wealth building.
0: Sure. So, you know, a, a lot of people who get into fix and flipping, they're contractors themselves or getting into real estate investing for the first time. They saw this stuff on HGTV and they can do it in 30 minutes. Um, with that, You know, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of us, and I'm going to be put myself in that same boat. You know, it. I'm not a designer by any stretch of the imagination. So earlier, you mentioned um, going with statistics associated with the colors and a few things. Where where would a person find some of that type of information? Like what what is popular or, or successful? Yeah, just go
1: to like SherwinWilliams.com and they'll tell you like their most popular paints that are being sold and it's going to be grays and whites. And it's like, it's always going to be the case. Color is a particular thing. Most, nobody hates gray or white. They would rather have another color, but some people hate red. Some people hate yellow. Some people hate orange. So, I mean, just imagine walking in the whole house, all the walls would be orange, you know, like the color of your shirt there. That's going to be hard for people to digest in a house. Right. Also, darker colors don't let light in and, and make it the house feel smaller. Whites and whites and light colors don't. So we're not professional designers either. We'll hire them on bigger projects on higher end dollar, higher dollar projects uh to help us out in that. But again, we have to stay neutral just because you know we have to appeal to we want to sell these houses quickly, right? So we do quality work and we put in quality products, but they're going to be neutral in their colors and their design just because. That's, you know, who we are. We're not custom rehabbers. Right? So, you know,
0: I mentioned uh, just a second ago that, you know, a lot of people are getting into real estate investing for the first time and they might be considering wholesaling versus flipping and and uh where should in your opinion, where should people decide what they should do with a property like
1: that? I love this uh the versus thing here because I don't believe it's a versus thing. I believe it's uh you should have all three. And even owner financing is another one in your back pocket because anytime you look at a house, you want to have multiple uh, exit strategies and we do this all the time. So can we we wholesale it? Nope. Can we flip it? Nope. Can we rent it? No. Or not nope on all these, but can we? Can we owner finance it? Uh, these are all things that we consider before we just go, no, that won't work as a flip. We wholesale too. You know, Maybe we can make a quick 10 grand on it. It doesn't work as a flip for us. We don't have the time right now because our inventory is full, but we know investors will pay 50 for this and we can get it for 40. So we'll wholesale it. So I'll have all of them in your back pocket as an exit strategy, but wholesaling by far and away is probably the easiest way to get started outside of house hacking, which we won't dive into here. Uh, But I think wholesaling is the easiest way to get started from a purely investment standpoint. You know, you find a house, you find a good deal, you lock it up into contract, at 30 grand. You find an investor who wants to pay 50 for it. You assign the contract or do a dual closing, whatever you want to do. And you make 20 grand and you did not have to put up any money. It costs money to get started. You need advertising. You need acquisitions. You need mailers. You need signs. So anybody, you know, you see the advertisements, they, they drive me crazy. Get started with no money. Well, the, yes and no. You don't need any money per se to purchase the wholesale deal. But how are you going to find it? You know, even if it's just driving right. for dollars, you need gas money, right? You need to know how a contract works. You need to have a lawyer to do the closings for you. So, but as far as um, startup costs compared to flipping or renting, oh yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that the hardest aspect of when it comes to wholesaling is just actually between people's ears. It's it's hard to get their brain around the fact that they can that this is even possible to get get a property under contract and then sell that contract. Unless until you do that first one, uh, after the first one or two, that's when it starts to become real and it becomes realistic. And then they start to flow a little bit for you.
1: Well, it's always the negative. The first negative after that is, well, why wouldn't the investor just pop hash you and buy it from the investor? Well, that's what the contract prevents, first of all. And second of all, that is possible. They could wait for your contract to expire and just make a deal directly. But if you know how to wholesale properly, you never put your investor in contact with your seller uh, unless you have an established relationship. There's also a code in the real estate world. You don't do that. You don't cut people, you don't cut the wholesaler out, okay? Unless the wholesaler's asking some exorbitant of fee or something like that. But even then, that's their—that's what their value is of it. Um, now, if you let the contract expire for three months and go behind their back, I guess, then whatever, you weren't going to buy it anyway from the wholesaler. But what I'm saying is there's a code for that. And just to keep, keep this in mind, if a wholesaler came to us and brings us a deal, and we we circumvent them and go straight to the seller, and we buy and cut out the wholesaler, we save 10 grand, Correct. That on a, on average, we'll save 10 grand. Great. That was great for that one deal. Well, guess who's not going to bring us any more deals? That wholesaler. Yeah, right. Guess who that wholesaler is going to talk to? Other wholesalers. And they're going to say, hey, AM Investments, they'll take your deal. They'll go behind your back. Don't send them wholesales. And now we just cut out a chain of 20, 30, 40, 50 deals uh, that could have came to us just because we wanted to save 10 grand on a wholesale contract. Not smart. Not a good way to do business. Um, you know, you can negotiate a wholesale fee, you can do things like that, but do not try to cut out the middleman. It's not, it's not smart.
0: So, well, in, in, in my market, you know, you, you mentioned that your pipeline is pretty full right now in, in my market, it, it got, it's gotten very competitive and there's actually like no inventory has, have you seen any changes or how is your how's things? You mentioned your pipeline is full, but have you had to do anything to, to change things up in order to make sure it stays full?
1: We had a good January, but December was just November December were extremely dry for us. I mean, it's already it's already winter time, so sales and purchases already dropped. That's just seasonal. Um then Omicron came back through. You know, you got you got foreclosures at an all-time low right now because they're held up in courts and because of COVID. Uh and then just people don't want to re- uh, move in the winter, but we started hitting the MLS, some foreclosures became available and we we've, we've gotten back on track. I think we've purchased six houses in the last probably 45 days. Um, so we're, we're getting back on track there. We try to average our, you know, three to four a month is where we like to stay. That keeps us happy. Some months are bigger than others. Um, and then we also like to, you know, you find our quick flips, our soft flips, one that we got to go in there and put some lipstick on because that's a quick paycheck to the company. Because look, when you run a flipping company, your overhead does not stop. We have three full-time employees. Us owners don't have to get paid, right? We can skip on pay, but our our employees need paid. Our office rent needs paid. our, Our professional services need paid and they need paid every month. And we only get paid. Money only comes into the company if there's a sale right so it doesn't matter if we got 20 flips going on we need to how many how many are pending in a sales contract that's our more important number, right so we have a board and the board goes you know pending purchase means we have it in contract to buy then we have it it moves to rehab then it moves to for sale and then it moves for pending sales and our pending sales needs to stay you know, with properties in there. And if not, you know, we can go two, three dry months. I mean, we're, we're owners. We did not get paid in January and we probably won't get paid in February. Now, thankfully we all have alternate income outside of this and other businesses. I think we've run like 20 businesses between the three of us. Um, So we have other income, but the flipping is very up and down. And so, but then, you know, March is going to look, was going to be huge check because those two months took a while for some houses to sell. And that's just how it goes. But you have to be ready to withstand that. Yeah, I was going to ask you then,
0: if you got so much stuff going on there, um, I was going to ask if you could talk a little bit about the importance of having these other different options and, and sources of income because of the volatility you're experiencing right now.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's a catch-22. <clears throat> you know, there's... a there's, uh the more you the more you vary your focus or the more things you have to focus on, it becomes uh, hard to focus on one thing, right? That's just multitasking is not real. You can't truly do two things at once and do them both at a hundred percent. Okay. Um, so multitasking proficiently is not really a thing. It, this is my opinion. I, I speak from my opinion always. Uh, but like the, you've heard the saying, too many irons in the fire. There's like, that's going to also be a thing. So we try to narrow. So we are all committed to each other's partners. So if any of our businesses on the outside of AM investments become detrimental to AM investments, we quickly bring that to each other's attention and we try to be self aware as well. But We are also knowing that this isn't our only thing that we have going. Steve and Andrew have some businesses together. My wife and I have some businesses together. You know, I run a YouTube channel. I run an Instagram. I run the More Than Money community. We just sold a gym. We owned a gym for three years. So we had a lot of things going on outside of this. But if that's deteriorating the business because of that, then you are not being morally responsible to your business partners, okay? If you're chasing money outside of that, chasing endeavors outside of that, who did you make the agreement with first? right? Like, who did you make a commitment to first? That should be your sole responsibility. And we're all, for the most part, pretty much on page with that. We all slip here and there a little bit, uh, but we all quickly get back on track. But yes, we are all, uh, you need alternate sources of income when it comes to flipping, uh, unless you have a good savings or you have a spouse with good income. My wife's a nurse anesthetist, so she does quite well for herself, which is helpful. Um, So things like that. But I understand, look, everybody's in a different position. Right. And that may be why wholesaling would be better for you to start off with, because even if you don't wholesale a house here or there, um, you don't have a ton of overhead.
0: Well, this all goes back to what we've just started the whole show on is the whole concept of getting your processes, procedures, uh, everything in place so that if you need to, you, since you're not getting a, a steady paycheck from here, at least you have a team that's supporting it, and making sure the machine is keeps rolling so that you you can take advantage of other opportunities if you, if you have to.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean we run the business the right way. We, you know, our overhead is accounted for first, you know, and then we have three months of that. So we just like I believe a personal emergency fund should be three months uh, you know, of cash sitting by. It sucks. Inflation eats it a lot, but it's better to have that money available than tied up in an investment that's currently down and you can't pull out. Uh, so, you know, broken leg, medical expense, broken down car, wreck, something like that. Emergency funds, lifesaver. And it's been that way for a lot of people. I mean, you just hear the stories. Most people, I think it was 56% of America, can't cover a $500 expense on any given month if it was an emergency. So just imagine, you know, it doesn't take much. Two pop tires is 500 bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. We run our business the same way. So we take our overhead, we times that by three, and we leave that in the account. And the owners do not touch that, even if we have to go a month or two without pay. And if we deplete that emergency fund and pay comes in, the emergency fund is replenished first and then we get paid. So, you know, if if we've never gone more than two months without pay, uh, but if we had to, we're ready to withstand it longer just to keep our employees and keep uh, people paid. One of the things that you brought up
0: too that I thought is especially interesting is that you you have an account for each investor and you know um, I've seen I've heard similar things where different accounts for different properties that it, it reminds me of Mike McAllowitz's Profit First if you've read that book I've heard Keep of it in- I haven't read it oh yeah it 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 recommends exactly that where you even go a step further and. Let's say you have like a rental property. You have an account for that rental property, but then you have side accounts for to force yourself to put your tax taxes in, force yourself to put your profit. You know, set aside money for profit, like ten percent. And then at the, and then you'll find that you only use the money that's available to you versus just this constant pool.
1: Everybody should have multiple accounts, not only for their business, but for their personal lives as well. It's a savings account, a vacation account, an emergency account, whatever it is. Um, then, of course, your retirement accounts as well. I'm a very big, very big advocate for that. Uh, but yeah, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And I always argue to make those savings accounts, not debit accounts, not checking accounts. So it makes it even harder to get to the money.
0: Right. Well, John, uh, you know, I, I told you I was pro- trying to keep things to 30 minutes here here today, but. Uh, again, I just, I wanted to remind everybody of your mastermind there. If you can, you can tell we've only scratched the surface here of what John and his team can offer you uh, head over and, and take a look at the show notes uh, at reimastermind.net um, where you're going to find his link to his discord page for his mastermind called more than money. Um, and I'll also make sure to have your link to your YouTube channel. Um, there's a lot of great content, especially, hey, get some ideas there on how to do some flipping yourself. Um, But before I let you go, John, is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today?
1: Not really. I think you're an excellent host. You know, I I do quite a few podcasts. I love teaching. I love educating others because, you know, I, I I didn't have the best start in life financially. I didn't. Nobody taught it to me. I had to learn it all myself. And I just wish more education and of course it is over the last 15 years with podcasts and youtube it is more readily available but i want to pitch into that i want people to have this knowledge and let people know they can do it also you know you know i guess a little toot of my own horn here is that i'm younger you know i'm i'm 35 now but i've been financially free for the last 5 years you know my wife and i uh, have done well for ourselves and it's because of the, what we implemented in our early and mid twenties and to continued today, living below our means, saving diligently, investing diligently, constantly educating ourselves, and uh, and you know and just getting around people that are more knowledgeable than you and doing more things than you, and uh, we continue to live that way today. We're loosening the reins a little bit in our spending and how we think. Travel is a big thing for us. We're not materialistic per se, but we love to travel and that's not cheap. Um, but we will always live below our means just because we know that what's here today could be gone tomorrow if you're not responsible.
0: Well, I can't ask for a better way to end this show. I really appreciate your time, John. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that offer. Uh,
1: Absolutely. uh, Let's get some feedback from your, your, um, your audience and whatever they want to hear. We can jump back on here and do it again. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you.
0: If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing,